it forced me to look at my mortality and how was I going to handle this, you know, going forward. And literally, I remember a couple of days after the diagnosis, I sat down and I was like, look, I can worry about this, which will do me no good, or I can just live every day. And at that moment, that's when I learned to live for today. Tomorrow didn't matter because in my case with that illness, it could really affect my motivation for everything. You know, why should I do this going forward? You know, I have this this disease that's probably going to end my life. Hello and welcome to the Intuitive Woman podcast. My name is Tina Conroy. I am so grateful you are here. As a professional intuitive medium, Reiki master, and yoga teacher, my intention is to explore intuition so you can gain clarity, confidence, and trust in your inner wisdom. I honor your spiritual growth. Thank you for listening. This episode is sponsored by my March Practice Circle with myself and good friend, psychic medium, Roy Tomko. The Practice Circle in March will be a psychic circle on Monday evening and a mediumship circle on Thursday evening, 7 to 8.30 p.m. The dates on Monday evening will be March 7th, 14th, 21st, and 28th. The dates for Thursday mediumship circle will be March 10th, 17th, 24th, and 31st. You can do both or one or the other. All the information will be below. To do both, it's $140 and each is $80. We would love to have you there to practice your skills and to be in a like-minded community. Today on the podcast, I have the pleasure of speaking with Michael Christopher. Michael works as an evidential medium. Evidential mediumship is a style of mediumship that puts pressure on the medium's ability to bring through extremely specific evidence to the sitter. This evidence can include, but is certainly not limited to, names, personality traits, physical ailments, favorite pastimes, and phrases often used by loved ones in spirit. The purpose of this style of mediumship is to diminish skepticism among sitters and to prove that the medium is truly connecting with the client's loved ones in spirit. Michael believes passionately sharing his gifts with others while also opening others to the gifts that they too possess. Everyone is inherently intuitive and able to feel spirit. I cannot tell you how wonderful this conversation was with Michael. I had the pleasure of working with Michael in an open forum, a Facebook Live with two other mediums, and it was just phenomenal. But today I got to really hear his story. And it's not an easy one. Michael really speaks from the heart about all the many losses in his life and how he came to be and where he is right now. He's open, he's honest, he's raw, and he's funny. I know you will enjoy this interview as much as I enjoyed creating it for you. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, Michael. How are you today? So glad to have you on the podcast. Good morning, Tina. Great to be here. Great to be here. <laughs> I was just saying before I hit record, I have you all to myself. I get to really learn all about you. I was honored to do some work with you with Debbie Squizero and, and Roy Tomko and do that live Facebook. But 
this is the first time it's you and I, and we're going to get, <laughs> you know, really, you know, just kind of open up to what's going on and where you've been and, and do what you do. So I'm excited to have you here. Very grateful to be here. Thank you very much for the invitation. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I know my listeners right now are going, wait, he's one of the very few men you have on your podcast. So you've, you've made a, um, you made a very significant <laughs> time <laughs> timestamp. So it's exciting. It's exciting. Yes. <laughs> I think I want to start. Some of my listeners may know of you. Um, some may not. And so my passion is really to share them with you. So I figured we'd start. Actually, I'm going to start a little further back. Let's sure. start even further back from your origin story. Let's start out. And I like to ask this question. I forgot to tell you this offline. Mm-hmm. Growing up, were you brought up religious, spiritual, none of the above? Oh, I was raised in upstate New York, Italian family, so Roman Catholic, yes. <laughs> church, my grandmother would drag me to church, I, I don't know how many times per week, so yeah. <laughs> okay, so pretty religious. Yeah, when I was growing up, yes. Um, and then after high school and I left, I kind of looked the other way. So that was my own choice. Right, right. Yes. When you were, because we have this similar, I brought up Catholic, I went to a Catholic school, I went to Catholic high school, I went to Catholic college for two years. But now I, I still would say I'm Catholic, but I don't mm-hmm. do the church thing. I'm more spiritual. Right, me too. When you were growing up, did you have a connection to it or was it just something you did? No, it was actually, I didn't understand why I was being dragged to church because I never really connected. It's just kind of like I went through the motions, you know, I I actually don't remember any part of it at this point. I mean, none of it because it it wasn't an interest of mine. Uh, As you said, I didn't have a connection to it. So it was just kind of like school. You know, you just go, go through the motions, get it over with. That's kind of how I looked at it. Never really connected. Okay. Got it. So it wasn't like when you finally came to do this work, Mm -hmm. you didn't have that it's evil or bad because of your religion. Okay. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. No. I figured I was going to that nice warm place after I left. So, hey, why not? (laughs) By the way, if you're listening right now, you're going to get Michael's humor and um, it's it's hysterical. And I'm going to give you all his information, how you can follow him because... He is funny, he's sarcastic, he keeps you on your toes, and he's real. So that's why he's on this podcast. So let's bring us to your origin story. How sure. did all of this happen for you? Okay, wow. <laughs> I know, right. it's such so, a big question. Yeah, uh, and I know everybody has a story, and it's it's just just amazing what we go through to get to this point. Yeah, mine... I'll just say this, okay, this was not even on my radar. This was not part of my life growing up. I was not one of those, you know, people that had experiences throughout their life. I will say that I didn't know up until this point. <laughs> Looking back now, I'm like, okay, a lot of things make sense. But literally until I was 45, I was just a normal muggle. None of this, I, other than reading books about mediums and stuff like that, that was it. But I will. I'll go back and I'll try to keep it in some kind of order. Um, but um, yeah, there was there was uh, per, four pretty significant events that led up to this. So I'll start with, you know, um, I grew up in upstate New York, left for the Air Force at 19, 
So I served in the Air Force for 20 years. I'll go back to 97, and that's kind of where everything started. You know, as far as me looking back and trying to put like a timeline together, um, 97 was a good place to start. So my two brothers, uh, stepbrothers, but I consider them my brothers. There's nothing. There's no step. Both my brothers, Jason and Danny, were born with cystic fibrosis, which is a pretty brutal disease. Um, and it eventually does lead to um, an early passing. I mean, that's the, the expectancy of the, 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 disease, uh, the disease. So 97, I just got back from the deployment and found out that Jason was starting to, his health was really starting to fail. Um, he was on a transplant list, a long transplant list. About two weeks prior to the surgery date, his health really declined and they had no choice but to pull him off the list because he wouldn't have survived the, the uh, surgery. And he ended up passing in 26 and 97. Um, and that was pretty, that was probably my first really significant loss. I mean, that hit me hard, um, really hard. So it was the first time that I ever really looked at and thought about passing and what happens. And then around 2000, uh, two things happened there. One, me and my wife discovered John Edward on TV. And that was really our first exposure to mediums. And we were just fascinated by it. We're like, wow, you know, we would tune in, tune in every week. We started reading books about it. I mean, it just became like a hobby. But then in 2000, pretty much out of nowhere, I was... I went to uh, get my pilot's license, which required a separate physical from the, the military. Come to find out there was an issue with my kidneys. Long story there, but I was eventually diagnosed with a kidney disease. And pretty much the prognosis at that point, because it was fairly progressed, and I had no physical symptoms, but they pretty much said that it was, you, you're going to face failure at some time. Having something like that just out of nowhere, that really stopped me in my tracks and it you know, again, I could drone on about that, but in short, it really made it, it, it forced me to look at my mortality mm. and how was I going to handle this, you know, going forward. And literally, I remember a couple of days after the diagnosis, I sat down and I was like, look, I can worry about this, which will do me no good, or I can just live every day. And at that moment, that's when I learned to live for today. Tomorrow didn't matter because in my case with that illness, it could really affect my motivation for everything. You know, why should I do this going forward? You know, I have this, this disease that's probably going to end my life, yada, yada, yada. So literally that day, it was like a lesson of don't worry about tomorrow. How do you feel right now? That's all that mattered. Um, and that's kind of what I've had to incorporate into my life just going forward. Was it easy? No. I mean, every now and then those dark thoughts would come in, but I just, you know, learned to just push them away. And and, and that was that. I, I'm just thinking yeah. as you're, as you're speaking that you very well could have turned the other way. You very oh, yes. well could have been, screw it. I, I don't need to be a good person. Why is this happening to me? I'm the, I, what, why me? Right. Yeah. You're young, you're married at this point and yeah. you know so but you something within you or higher source or whatever maybe we don't even know had you look at it a very different way and even yeah. though you said it's not easy because I don't I can't even oh, no. imagine it it made you look at it in a different way and you're still talking about it today so it's it's almost like that driving force that inner guidance that what I say intuition or 
mm-hmm. our soul spark or whatever. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was interesting to say the least. And that was about halfway through my Air Force career too. Um, and that could have easily ended my career, but it didn't, thankfully. Uh, Cause I was still pretty much, I was healthy. It was just, this is something they just had to keep an eye on. So advanced to 2001, New York City, you know, the 9-11 attacks happened. And again, you know, we're from New York. So my other brother, Danny, was on the transplant list, too, for a set of lungs at that point. Two days after the, the attack, he got a call from the hospital in New York City to get down there because they had a set of lungs. So he went through surgery, you know, had his transplant. Everything was fine. He did perfect, you know, after that. Right around that time, and I try to keep things in line, um, I think he he went about four, four or five years and then his lungs started to reject, which is always a, a complication with any transplant. You know, you're, they do their best with medication to, to quiet your immune system. But, you know, we face rejection every day. So they rejected, um, which left them in a kind of a tricky situation because normally they don't do a second one. But lungs, the chances of survival are, I think, 30% or less. But luckily, Pittsburgh Hospital decided to, to, to take them on. Um, so they relisted him. He ended up getting another chance. So I, I forget what year it was. I think it's 2006, somewhere around there. He went through another one and survived that. And he did perfect. Go to 2009. Like I said, I'm trying to keep this straight in my mind. It's just a, a jumbled, oh my God, just, oh, wow. But anyway, 2009, I get to the end of my career. I retired from the Air Force in summer of July, uh, it was July 2009. We get to about September and I was being checked. I mean, I would get blood work done every four months. So September comes, do my blood work, my nurse calls. And the first thing she asked me was, how you doing? She never asked me. How, that was like, okay, you never asked me what's going on. And she said, well, your, your, your functions started to decline a little bit, which, you know, happens. But I said, no, I'm feeling fine. She goes, okay, you know, we'll just keep an eye on it. Get to, I think, February again. How you feeling? I'm like, oh, God. Same, and at this point, it was. They, they were starting to quit, you know. Um, so around February, they were to the point where a couple months later, they checked it again, and it was, it was in rapid decline. Around um, May, they were pretty much done. Um, I had to start dialysis, which, again, you know, I remember leaving the office after the news that they were. I had, they started to list me. They called the transplant center. I went through all of that from the office, and I remember leaving the office that day. And even though I'd been facing this for ten years, I knew it was coming. It was like day one again. It was like, okay, we're here now. I remember getting in my truck and just driving. I just I didn't go home. I drove around for like three hours, trying to just make sense. Again, I got home, you know, and told my wife what was going on. And something, I, it, again, even though I, I knew this was coming, it just, I remember having the thought, I don't want to go through this. And I told her, I was like, look, I said, I, I don't want to go through this. I said, I just, I want to let, just, I told her, I said, I want nature to take its course. I said, I just can't. And Throughout the 10 years of living with this, I will say that it was not physical. The physical side was easy to deal with because I wasn't sick. The mental side was the toughest part of this for me 
And at that point, the fear of waiting for a transplant, the fear of going through dialysis, that outweighed dying. To me, the simpler way was just, I'd rather just go. And I remember it was probably a day later. And I'll go back to, you know, my reaction from, from Sheila. You know, she didn't like the decision, but she knew it was my decision. You know, it was like, that's that's only my decision to make. It was probably a day later. I just had this thought. And I know, again, I wasn't in the woo-woo thing back then. So right, right. I didn't know about the connection. I just had this overwhelming thought that it's like, no, you got to, you got to do this. And I don't know where that came from at the time, but I told, I walked out and I told her, I was like, look, I'll give this one year. I said, if I don't have a transplant within a year, I, I'm not going to live on a machine. And that was my decision. We went, went forward and actually did well on dialysis. You know, I, I, after that few days, I just refocused and said that yeah, I went back to my same thoughts, like, how are you doing right now? And I was fine. I mean, still, even being on dialysis, I was not the typical patient because I actually listened to my doctors and followed the, the really strict diet and, you know, everything. And I was actually normal. You know, I still went to work. I still worked out. Working out was very important because it kept me normal. Even though I couldn't do what I normally do, I did it to the point to where, you know, I just did it because somehow it just made me feel normal doing my normal thing. Even though I wasn't at the capacity, because it does. I mean, your body's polluted. Dialysis does not. Dialysis does not um, completely clean your body. So, I did the best I could. I just went forward with it. And my brother, my family, everybody tested. I have another brother. He ended up being a match. So this was around, I think June. We had to schedule date of surgery for the transplant on, in September. So you know, we go through that point two weeks before the surgery. My brother calls and says that he has a staph infection, which turned MRSA. Mm. Transplant center said, well, he can no longer donate. And I said, what, until he gets better? They said, no, he's got MRSA. That's, he can't donate it because oh, MRSA doesn't go away. So there I am again, you know, again, another setback. Two weeks away, you know, and here we go again. And the same thing, I just was like, well, you know, screw it. It is what it is go forward, you know? So again, I just had to just refocus and just, all right, here we are. This is, this is life right now. Keep going. Probably two weeks after that, a friend of mine that was in, that uh, was in the Air Force with me, heard about it, reached out and he started asking me questions, you know? And I was like, are you just curious? He goes, no, I want to donate. I was like, what? Yeah. He was still active duty too. So knowing the Air Force, I thought, I thought, well, this is going to be a process. So I'll get through the story quick. So he called the transplant center, set up the testing. He was in, he was down in Mississippi at the time. I'm in North Dakota. He worked through the transplant center. He was a perfect match. Um, the Air Force, once they found out what he was doing, I didn't know that the Air Force actually has a program for that, that you can do this while on, on active duty. He got all the approval needed. Um, we'll advance to December of 2010, Pearl Harbor Day, December 7th, we had the transplant. Wow. And it went better than I ever expected. You know, I, again, I didn't worry about the next day. I was just like, I expected setbacks, which I had one small one, but it's nothing, nothing really talk, to talk about. 
But yeah, the surgery went fine. This is now 11 years ago. So I'm 11 years post-transplant at this point. So everything's good there. We get to February. My brother, Danny, his kidneys fail in February. The medication we take because of the transplant, it's really toxic. So that's side effects. So he had to start dialysis. So he's looking for a kidney now. I mean, my poor family. I mean, it was right. just and like- this is- is this the this is the brother that just had the second lung transplant? Yes, yes. Oh my goodness! And I got to oh say goodness. this at this point: these my two brothers were the motivation for me going forward. I'm like, I look at everything they live. They live with this throughout their life. Knowing every time I got into one of those moods, or you know, what was me? I was like, no, look what they went through. So I got to say. Going through all this, they were my heroes because that's what I look to for just like, how dare I feel bad for myself? You know, look what they went through. You're going to so, make me cry. You're going to make me cry because cystic <laughs> fibrosis is such a, it's, I, I know pretty close, I had some close friends and it's, yeah, I can't imagine. It's very hard, very hard. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's brutal. And the thing about those two, they never, not once did I ever see them feeling bad for themselves. It was just like, nope, that was their life. And they weren't going to be, you know, sad sacks about it. Plus their personality, they were too stubborn. Um, (laughs) So again, you know, every time I would catch myself in that movie, it was like, no, (laughs) how dare I? You know, that was my, how dare I feel like this? So Danny, yeah, went through dialysis. And then unfortunately, probably seven months later, he developed lymphoma cancer in his lungs. At this point, he was 42. And, you know, not too far after that, he passed. It was just, yeah, one of those things. And I wish I could say at this point that that was it, but it's not. Um, So that's 2000. When was that? That was, I want to say 2012. So 2015, I'm at work one day and my mother calls me and she's like, your sister was stabbed. And I was like, what? She goes, your sister was stabbed. There was something that went on at her shop. We don't know much more at this point. She'll let me know. And I was just like, what in the holy, you know, is going on? So it turns out, so my Jack, my youngest sister, Jackie, who was 32 at the time, she was a, a barber. She had her own, well, not her own shop at that time. She was sharing it, but she was alone in her shop on a Friday afternoon in the middle of Colony, New York, in a nice public place. Um, someone had snuck in the back of the shop with the intentions of robbing the shop. So they waited till she was alone. When she was, he came out, basically tried to rob her. She tried to stop him. He ended up stabbing her in the neck twice. She made it out to the street before collapsing and then, you know, they got to the hospital. But at that point, she had a series of strokes and, you know, stuff, the, the blood loss. Um, but two days after that, they decided to take her off life support because basically she was gone. And that's a complicated situation in itself because I didn't know Jackie in a physical <laughs> world. Um, she was born to my dad's second marriage. And because of my military time and all that we never actually had the chance to meet. So that was a very complicated situation in the way of, I didn't know how to feel about it. You know, I didn't know, should I, you know, how, how do I, I I didn't know how to process it because how do you feel sad about somebody you didn't know? But then again, she's my sister. Mm -hmm. 
And if I'm talking too much, if you need no, to interrupt me. I, I, I'm, I, I don't know your whole story and, and your, your life really. It's not a story. Like, so for me, I'm, I'm so engaged. So no, please keep going. Okay. <laughs> uh, I know I shouldn't be laughing at this point, but. <laughs> I know. But yeah. I don't, I, uh, it, it's, it's, it's so hard. And even as probably as many times as you say it or repeat it, it's going through it and yeah. feeling it. So, but this is where things get interesting, you know, after, after her passing. So the police didn't, but they didn't know who did this and they were still with an active investigation. So this is, I'll, I'll just fast forward to about two months later after her, 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 her murder. I happened to be working out one day and I, I was watching YouTube and I seen this video of this medium channeling this woman's son. And I just watched it the whole time I was working out. I was just like, wow, you know, very interesting. Again, you know, I had read books, all this, but there was a website link. So I clicked the website after I was finished. And there was an actual group that worked on these cases, you know, unsolved, murdered, whatever. I clicked it. My intention at that time was, to, you know, we're reaching for anything at this point. I was trying to find somebody who worked on these cases. So when I clicked the link, I just said that. I said, can anybody point me in the direction of, you know, somebody that could help? So these two ladies reached out to me and they started giving me information. They didn't ask for money. They didn't ask for anything. I thought that's, that was kind of odd. You know, I was fully expecting to, to, you know, pay for their services. But over a period of about two months, you know, I got to know them very well. I would say two months into it, this is where, this is where this, the really big, you know, thing happened to me that kind of turned everything on. I got up for work one morning and I was out in the kitchen alone and it was five in the morning. I know I'm by myself. I felt somebody walk up behind me. That's the sensation I felt like normal. You know, I turn around and nobody's there. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Um, go back to doing my, whatever I was doing, getting ready. And I feel this again, at this time in my mind, I see my sister standing behind me and it was out of nowhere. I wasn't thinking of her, but I was just like, what, you know, what's going on? The next thing I feel, it's like they combined. I feel her and I see her in my mind. I see her walk up behind me and she puts her arms around me and she puts her head on my shoulder. That's what I saw in my mind. But at the same time, I felt the energy of it too, which was, it just stopped me in my tracks because I never once had anything close to this. So I didn't know what was going on. I'm like, am I imagining this? You know, what right. the hell is going on? And probably about 20 seconds or so. And then she kind of pulled back and, and that was that. I didn't say anything about this for probably a couple of weeks because it was, I, I didn't know what, that, what just happened. Right. And um, it's always like, I, when, and I haven't had that particular situation, obviously, but whenever things like that happen, then you're, after it's over, you're like, I, I must've made it up. But you have to yeah. rationalize it in your mind. That's exactly what was going yeah. on. And I ended up about a week or so after this, or about two weeks, talking to one of my friends again about her case. And I asked one of them, I didn't give her any details. I, I just said, I had the weirdest experience a few weeks ago. And she says, your sister's here and she wants you to know that was her. And I was just like, what? <laughs> so she validated the situation and she's like, you know, you're a medium. I'm like, no, I'm not. 
And I swear we had this debate for about five minutes of going back. <laughs> which is like, you are, I'm like, no, I'm not. You know, no, I'm not. And it was probably one more conversation later. I was on a, a Skype call with her. As we're talking, I hear this voice in my head say, tell her it's Jim. And I was just like, where did that come from? I didn't say anything. I continue talking. This voice says it again. I ignore it. Third time, he's like, tell her it's Jim. I passed the cancer. All right. So at this point, I think I'm nuts. So I said, Linda, I don't know what the heck's going on, but I said, somebody's here. It's a male. And he's saying, tell her it's Jim. I passed the cancer. She goes, that's my dad. And she goes, I told you you were a medium. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I know. We're like denial, denial, denial. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> and literally, wow. you know, and again, from that point, it just one thing led to another. You know, they found my sister's murderer. Uh, he got sentenced to 25 years to life. Thank God. But from there, it's like these, you know, Linda and other people I met. But the one, uh, I think it was Linda, told me, you, you need to just take this course. Just take this intuition course just to, to do it. So I did. And this is like we were talking before the show. You know, I thought that mediums saw spirit like they do physical people. So thinking that way, it never occurred. But the first night of class, you know, we learn about um, clairvoyance. And as soon as we learned, or I learned, that it's all internal, it's mental, it's your mind's eye. As soon as that little piece was brought to my attention, I was like, holy moly. Right. I started thinking back to like situations that I've, you know, had. And I was like, wow. And again, I could talk about this forever, but I look back, you know, we learned about clear audience and all. So all the pieces came together. And things started to make sense. And I look back throughout my life and I was like, wow, yeah, that was there the whole time. I just didn't realize it. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's, I, I love that. I, I didn't know all that story. And as I'm listening, I, I'm a visual person. I just tend to be a visual person, not even, and, and yes, I think that was one of the things I developed first when I finally kind of happened for me. But so as you're talking, I'm seeing everything, you know, I see it, see it, see it, see it, and then I feel it. So, and, um, I'm just thinking of your family and all the, all the losses and the grief and, but then also the, the hope and the joy and clearly puts you where you are now. Right. So I, I never like to say that things happen for a reason. I don't like that, but there's progressions in life that understandings or teachings, or I don't even know how to say it because it never makes it seem right that have you where you are now doing the work you're doing now, which, which I know you and I believe is very healing. Like yes. you're a healer, right? And so we heal with our messages. I also know you do healing work as well as I, maybe differently, but it's still mm -hmm. healing work. And to to have you do what you're doing now, it's been a progression of getting there. Probably yeah. wish you didn't get there the way you did, but, no. but here you are. So, no. wow. So now all this starts happening. You start taking some development classes. And like you said, you're, you're waiting for them to show up. You're waiting for the dead people to show up. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're not there. But, it, but that clicked when she said, it's in your mind. It's in your mind's eye. Yeah. They were like, I, I, that, now you could go back and almost reference things, which is so cool. Yeah. 
I have to go back to something you just hit on and the, the purpose and the reason for everything. That was actual message that Jackie gave me one day and it just, it, it sat me in my chair because I think it was a down moment and all that. And I don't remember the exact situation of what started it, but she's like, you got to understand that yes, this was a tragic event, but look at the positive that came out of my past. She goes, look mm-hmm. what you're doing now. And I just, yeah, you know, set me back like, you know, yeah, you know, and she's reminded me of that many, <laughs> many times. times. Yes. Many times. Um, what do you think that, and that's a beautiful message to always hold dear. And because I, I, I say this mediumship, the work we do is not for the faint at heart. There's oh, many no, no. times I, I tend to be a perfectionist. I tend to be extremely hard on myself. So I, and I, and, I, and for need, not for an ego need, but for, I want, I'm a people pleaser. I'm trying to get out of that. But so I want to have healing and I want to relay the messages as clearly and precisely, but it doesn't always work that way. And then, so I, I'm really always working on my development because it's passionate to me for the healing but it, it can be really hard and you can have that great reading and go, wow, that was amazing. They got so much healing and I got the name or I got this. And the next one you're going, hello, hello yeah. spirit, where are you? <laughs> and it's, it's, and I know that's the work and I know that's the journey and I know that's the development, but I think that it, this work is not easy, right? So as you've been, as you develop, and I know you're always developing, we're always developing, Mm-hmm. What would you say to somebody right now that's listening to this? That's however their origin story is, however they came about it. Maybe they just want to be a medium, a psychic medium. They'd have no, like I didn't have imaginary friends. I didn't see grandma at the end of the bed. I had strange paranormal things and dream visitations and um, knew certain things through dreams and loved Ouija boards and psychic weirdo stuff and very passionate about that stuff. So it's kind of strange and very visual, very visual but not the typical, like I see dead people outside my mind's eye. And so what would you say to a developing psychic medium right now? Like give them a little confidence or give them, give them a tip from, yeah. What could you share? I'll say first, good luck. (laughs) Cause you're about to enter something that, oh my God, I, I say this jokingly, but serious. It's like, Anybody who chooses to do this work has to be a little nuts. Um, and I say that jokingly, but I'm serious. It's like, this is every so often I'm like, why, why am I doing this? But I'll say this first. You have to have a strong why. That's number one. Why are you doing this? Because you're not Teresa Caputo. You know, this isn't glamorous. You, you don't, this, you know, people look at TV mediums and go, I want to do that. And I'm like, yeah, good luck. Um, you don't see the the other side of this where you're constantly, like you said, battling the, the self-criticism. Um, this is not for the faint of heart. I mean, I've tried to walk and run away from this. I, I've, I've lost track how many times. Not to be negative about it, but I'm being real about it. Uh, um, if you don't have a strong why to start out, you're going to run. And I've seen it happen to people that they look at it maybe as a hobby and, yeah, I want to try that. I want to be a medium. And the ones that don't have that strong why, like you said, it's about helping people. That's that's it. There is no other reason why we do this. It's to help people. If that's not your, you know, you can't just say you got to believe it. You got to feel it. It's part of you. You got to want to do that. So the why is very important or you won't last long. 
So sorry if that sets a negative. No, no, no. <laughs> I, and absolutely. And I think that I, I completely agree. The why has to be big because you're going to have difficulty. You're going to... I think this is the other thing that I've learned and, and you could probably say the same. When I started especially mediumship, because mm -hmm. let me, let me roll back. So when I, my, I won't go through like my kids, psychic, paranormal, weird stuff and dreams because anyone could read that. But when I, my evolution of this work started, you know, I became a yoga teacher very young at 29, two kids, 29. Then it was, it was Reiki, Reiki. That was it. It's like, I, mm -hmm. Whatever that was, spirit maybe felt it was safe. I put my hands on somebody and I was like, image, 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 movie, 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 movie. And it wasn't a good movie. Um, it was a woman being abused and it was, I didn't really understand it. And I never didn't know her. So I wasn't going to be like, hey, I just saw you uh, get thrown against the wall. And like, I, how do you say that? So I kind of kept it in. And then as we were conversing afterwards, I wasn't, I was just asking her how things are and how do you feel? And she started crying and she said, I'm in an abusive relationship with a married man. And it was like, oh, wow, whoa. And then things like that kept happening. That then led me to say, hmm, I think I need some training. So I did really the psychic route. And my first big psychic development was, it wasn't even mediumship at all. And it was psychic and it was Berkeley Psychic Institute. So his eyes are closed the entire time. See, see, see. And all you could say is, I see, I see, I see. If you said, I feel, I hear, I know, they would like, do it again. Wow. And then that led me and that led me and that led me. And then I found the angels or the angels found me. And I was doing angel card readings because I was safe doing angel card readings. And then right. people's dead people were coming in. People's dead people were coming in. But I wasn't really nervous about it. I'd be like, mm -hmm. oh, there's a man here. Is that your grandfather? Like I, I didn't have any development. Then when I started developing, right, it's like the unnatural to the natural. And they're like, don't ask a question. Don't feed the medium. Say it like this. It was like, I almost refer to golf. I played golf for a very short time. You play golf and then you get a lesson. And when you get the lesson, it messes up your entire game. Oh, yes. And then you have to relearn. Do you, have you ever played golf? Oh, yeah. Okay. And you get the lesson and they're like, whatever. And you're messed up and you play yeah. the worst you've ever played. I'm kind of always in that, you know, so I'm kind of did. Then I went the real development mediumship and I've, I've trained with great mediums, amazing mediums, and I'm constantly developing. But now it's like, wait, I didn't even really get worried about a reading before because I didn't ask the way, you know, it is so funny. It's just a so as I'm going on and on, sorry about that, everybody. It's a personal development. What I've yes. learned is it's not outside of myself, which I really thought it was. I'm learning more about me. And that's, yes. that's what I love too. So yes, I want to help people, but I want to develop. And that's become my why. And I don't think it's a bad why. You know, it's oh, no. helping people and I want to develop to be and learn about myself. So yes. it's kind of changed a little over time. So... But no, I, I agree completely. Um, and I, I've actually limited myself on how many classes. I've only taken a handful of classes throughout these last seven years. And the main reason is I took one, after, you know, I took the two initially. But for me, I actually learn better by just doing it because I don't want to be like anybody else. And you asked the question earlier, what, what advice would you give? That's probably number one. Do not try to emulate anybody. You have to find out what works for you. 
classes will give you the tools to work with, but you have to do the work. You have to jump in and you got to figure out what works for you. How do you receive? What's your process? And the only way, and this is what I found out, and I, I think I'm nuts. I really do because probably three months after my initial class, I actually did a gallery reading with like 30. I was expecting maybe 15 people, 30 people showed up. So I'm standing in front of a group of 30, never did a, you know, a live reading in my life. But something inside of me said, you just got to do this. You got to figure this out. So I, there I am, group of 30 people, and they all knew. I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen here. Right. We're just right. going to have fun with it. First 20 minutes, it was like crickets, nothing. And then thank God someone's grandmother came forward and broke the ice. But I, for me, I just continue to put myself in these very uncomfortable situations by just doing it. And that's how I've learned and grown the most. I, uh, uh, um, I have taken classes, but like you said, every time I do, it takes you out of that and you start to be self-conscious and think, okay, I got to do it this way. Right. And it just goofs me up. Like a, you said. I, I completely agree with that. There's a happy medium and there's also, you know, bouncing around too many teachers. Yeah. I will say though, I am a proponent for to practice mediumship, you have to practice mediumship with a sitter. I yes. think there's so many people that, you know, and you can read all the books. I think the books are great. Uh, honestly, the podcast, the, the, the YouTube channel is awesome. Do, do all the things. But to practice mediumship, you need to practice and you need a sitter. You can't just sit there and say, I'm going to connect bring me somebody or even connect your own loved ones because that's very different. Your loved ones, you can't give evidential uh, information because you know about them. So, you know, I know so many people just practice and even if you don't want to, you know, it has nothing to do with money, right? Just practice and practice and right. practice because that's where you're going to learn more from spirit. That's really it. So, and not that I, listen, I love classes and I've taken, taken a lot, and but there's a media, there's also a, um, exactly what you're saying. Be mindful in how many you take and be mindful of who you take it from and then just limit it. Like if you like these two teachers or these three teachers, that's good. That's it. Don't boop, 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 boop. And yours will change and and you might pivot in your development. But yeah. I think that's really great advice. I really appreciate that, Michael. Yeah, I really, I think that's that's really helpful. Um, really helpful for people. And as you said too, the, 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 the number one thing I tell people, because I do teach occasionally, but I'm like, you can't just sit in your circles in those safe spaces. You got to do readings for people you do not know. It's uncomfortable. You have to do it because that's how you're going to push yourself to grow. If you stay in those safe circles, reading the same people week after week, you're going to stagnate. It's, there's going to be that stagnation point, then you're going to get frustrated, and then you're, you know, whatever. It's you. It's just not good. You have to be uncomfortable. I I've said if if you're if you're comfortable, then you need to check yourself because yeah. something's not right. <laughs> you gotta, yeah, yeah, yeah. Me, <laughs> you got to say that uncomfortable. I don't know. Something about being uncomfortable. <laughs> hey, I have a couple of weeks ago when we did our live and um, Michael will let you guys know where to find him. We, uh, in different places in his website, but we did a live, the three of us, four of us, I'm saying four of us. And I, I think before I went on, I was like, I'm going to throw up, you know? <laughs> and so I don't know I'm never completely calm before a reading. Like there's always that, okay. And then once I surrender to spirit and say, okay, spirit, come through, like, please come through, help me, you know, say my little prayer, do what I think in my head. I always yep. listen to a little piece of music because that helps me just like two seconds. And it's like high vibe music. It's not necessarily like meditation. I don't do that. And then it's fine. But 
leading up to it, like I have a reading at 1030. I have a reading on Thursday. Like, I don't know if that ever goes away. It's getting better, but it's, it's still like, oh, like I remember last weekend, I was like, okay, so I have, a re-, you know, it's like, you know, it, it's coming. Yeah. And I think if I didn't care so much, maybe that's the good thing, right? So caring is a good thing and, and, and working for the spirit world and serving spirit world. But at the end of the day, when I open my mouth and I just, I just let it happen and let it come out. Um, and then before we close, I want to ask one more question. And then I know sure. we've been speaking and I, and I love this conversation. I think it's a mis, 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 miscommunication or misinformation. Some people feel that to be a medium, you are constantly bombarded by spirit. Like you're in the grocery store or you're, you're, I don't know, doing something mundane and there's like spirit people all around you, like just different various people around you. For me, and I'll just share my part and, and you can share yours. For me, I'm on and I'm off. Like when I do a reading, I'm like, okay, friends, let's go, right? But when I'm doing my thing, like when we get off or do whatever, yeah. not a reading, I mean, and that's it. And so, and I think there was this misinformation that people think that you would have them speaking to you all the time and talking to you all the time, or someone comes to you and you have to go to somebody else and tell them something because, you know, how is that for you? Because for me, I'm very, I manage my mediumship. You know, I'm, I'm right. in and I'm off. I mean, now there's dream time. That could be my own yeah. loved ones, but yeah. Well, one common theme that I've heard from people that know me is like, you're so grounded. I, I think it's because, like you said, when I'm not doing this work, I, I'm, I'm living my life. Um, and I always say, spirits around us, it's not like they're somewhere else, they're here. But for me, it's a matter of paying attention. When I sit down to, to, to channel them or communicate with them, they're there. It's just a matter of me turning my attention to them. So it, like you said, when I don't, when I'm not actively doing something, I, I'm oblivious. And I wore, I, I remember one situation where I walked into a two by four that was strung across the door. And I was like, well, if my sister or anybody else were around, maybe they would have warned me, but no, <laughs> I, I mean, I took, it shattered my teeth. It was just crazy. I heard afterwards, you know, my brother giggle about it, but anyway. Um, so no, when I'm just living my life, I'm living my life. They're not, I don't feel them. I don't even know they're there. Because I'm not paying attention to that. Right. Yeah. It's like a you signal. Know? I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Love it. So where can people find you? So please give them uh, any and all information to contact you, reach out to you, <laughs> book a reading with you, all the things. Sure. So my website's um, michaelchristophermedium.com. Um, I have a Facebook page, which is just Michael Christopher Evidential Medium. I'm in, on Instagram. I'm still trying to figure out Instagram. Um, so I haven't really used that much. So those two are probably Facebook and my website are the two main, you know, points awesome. to get a hold of me. Yeah. Awesome. And then you do readings around the world because I know you're yes. in South Dakota. So you do you see people in person right now or are you just mostly online or phone? Well, I'm still a full-time air traffic controller. So my schedule is okay. kind of just wacky. So online or phone is what works best for me. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Yep. Well, I could talk to you forever. I am so <laughs> grateful that you are here. And 
I know the listeners, if you have any questions, just, uh, you know, drop us a line. All the information for Michael will be in the show notes below. So please reach out to him and find him on. He's a very active, active Facebook page. And you can see a lot. He jumps on live very um, kind of randomly. And he has <laughs> fantastic live uh, readings. He does like Q&A and readings. So definitely check that out and find him on Instagram as well. So um, thank you, Michael. This has been such a pleasure. I'm so glad I got to know more and more about you. And I know that the listeners will just find this really wonderful. So thank you. Thank, thank you very you. much. I thank appreciate you. the invitation. <laughs> Thanks. Have a beautiful day. You too.